right into it. Exodus chapter 20, starting at verse 12. Exodus chapter 20, starting at verse 12. God tells Moses, he says, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. These commandments were given uh, from God to Moses and to a nation of some of the most grumbling, ungrateful, idolatrous, prideful people who had constantly forgotten the goodness of God. This was a nation that reached a point where they thought they knew everything, even to the point where they thought they were wiser than God. And so God calls Moses up to the mountain, gives him the Ten Commandments, and we covered the first few last week, and we're going to cover the rest this morning. When you take the time to look at each commandment, all of them point to one word, and that's honor. What is honor? Honor is giving respect to someone in position. It's to care for and even obey someone in authority. The other day, I was uh, watching one of my favorite shows, Everybody Loves Raymond. And, uh, isn't that a great show? Yeah, it is. This particular episode, um, Raymond is sitting with his wife, and they're talking, and uh, she brings up the fact that their eight- or nine-year-old daughter is curious about our existence. And so Raymond is really hesitant because he doesn't feel comfortable talking to his nine-year-old daughter about how children get here. And so he eventually musters up the confidence and the courage and begins the conversation. He goes and sits on the bed and he talks to her and he opens up with the classic, you know, Allie, when a mommy and daddy really love each other very, very much. And she stops him and she's like, dad, that, dad, that's not my question. I know a mommy and a daddy have to do something, but my question is, why are we here? What is our purpose? And Ray just stares at her, just as clueless as he could be, because he had prepared for this conversation and he's completely caught off guard. And so he just suddenly darts out the room to go talk to his family, talks to his parents, and he talks to his brother, he talks to his wife. And watching this episode as a Christian and as a pastor, I was just really interested in this because they spent the whole episode, in this episode, they spent days trying to find an answer for this eight or nine-year-old little girl as to why we are here. And these Ten Commandments, they not only teach us the importance of honor, but they give us the reason for our existence. These commandments should open our eyes to the ultimate purpose of us being here. So my next point is we are created to honor God. That whole conversation that Ray had with his daughter could have been about 30 seconds. We are here to honor God. We are created to honor God. Another word for honor in this text is glory or weight. You know, when you look at a community leader, they have weight in the community. They have the highest respect because of their position. Again, honor is giving respect to someone in position. It's to care for or even obey someone 
and authority. All of these key words, giving respect, caring for obedience and authority, they all go hand in hand. How does this relate to God? Because we honor God by giving him respect because we care about his glory. We care about his name. We care about who he is. And so because we care for his attributes being made known and reflected in us, we obey and submit to him because he has all authority. And so we're created to honor God. However, we're living in a day and time where I personally believe the name of God has been more disrespected than it's ever been. Just within the last few months, the music industry had their annual Grammy Awards, and it was one of the most demonic Grammy Awards I've ever seen, where celebrities came celebrating the reign of Satan in their lives and in their hearts by how they dressed and the songs they sang and even the stage props. Just a little while ago, a rapper recently just had a massive concert with a stage where crosses were being burned, and they celebrated as the crosses were on fire. In Brazil, they recently had a parade where Jesus or someone dressed as Jesus was running down the parade, running from Satan in fear, and they finally caught up to him, and Satan and his demons beat and defeated Jesus, and they celebrated the defeat of Jesus and the reign of Satan in this parade. This is the world that surrounds the body of Christ, and this world is trying to make a place of authority in the church. They demand that we preach a certain way, that we skip over certain topics, that we dress a certain way, or they demand that we change our view of uncomfortable scriptures. And this is why 1 Peter 5, 8, it tells us, he says, be sober-minded, he says, be watchful. He says, your adversary, the devil, he prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Why is the scripture important? Because he says the devil prowls like a roaring lion. A lion doesn't just outright attack. He observes first. He sits and he watches the weak ones. He sits and he observes. And then when the time is right, then he makes his way in there. There's a lot of times where lions will find themselves attacking because they made their way within the herd or the pack. They snuck their way in there, and then they attack from within. And the crazy thing is there's, there's many pastors and there's congregations considering the conditions that the world is demanding. Right now, there's a big debate in the Church of England on whether gay marriage should be allowed or not. And there's pastors being kicked out because they're saying this is wrong. We have to be watchful. The devil is sneaking his way into the church we must be watchful because the devil's ultimate goal is to hinder God's creation from honoring him. And his ultimate goal is to distract the body of Christ from honoring him. We must be watchful. We talked about honoring God. This world, they want us to see God as a buddy or a pal, the man upstairs, a schoolmate that we grew up with, our homie. And yes, God is a friend to the friendless. In Matthew 6, we recognize him as our father. But at the end of the day, he is God. He is the creator of the universe. He is the Lord of the earth and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. All creation bows in submission to him. The angels bow before him in heaven and earth, adore him. He is the same God who sent a storm 
to rebuke a prophet, and then later through Christ rebukes a storm to bring peace to the heart of his disciples. And even from the dust of the earth, he formed man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, causing man to live and no longer exist. And even so, because of that, it means it's in him that we live, move, and we have our being because he is the source of our strength and the strength of our life. He is the creator and the source of all knowledge and wisdom. He is the inventor of time, space, and matter. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is God. And so because he's God, he deserves our worship. Because he's God, he deserves our praise. He deserves our respect. He deserves the highest honor that we can give. Again, all these key words from our first point, they work together. Give them respect, caring for, obedience, authority. They all go hand in hand. We honor God by giving him respect because we care for his glory and his name and who he is. And so because we care for his attributes being made known and reflected in us, we obey him. We submit to him because he has all authority. We honor God. And so this means that when we sin, when we mess up, by the way, we all sin. We all mess up no matter what our title is, our position, our background, our education. All of us sin according to Romans 3.23. And when we sin for a brief moment, we are declaring we don't care about his honor. We don't obey him because we don't care at the, in the moment. Our sinful actions declare that we are taking a moment to honor ourselves because our flesh believes we deserve it. And so the honor that we give God is reflected in the way we treat one another. The honor that we, or the way we honor God is by honoring one another. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, he says, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The way we honor God is by honoring one another. And so according to these commandments, we honor God by honoring, first, our parents. According to these commandments, we honor God by honoring our parents. Exodus 20, verse 12 God tells Moses, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. 1 Timothy 5.8, Paul says, if, but, if any, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Again, this word honor is, is a word of high respect. It goes beyond being nice to your parents. But it's a word of weight. It's similar to how the Bible describes Job, a man of many possessions with much respect and weight in the community. He was a very significant person. And so this type of view is how God wants us to see our parents. Parents, you know, they, they do silly, they do goofy things a lot of times that amuse us. Um, and sometimes it's not even intentional. It's just their personality, you know. And, and, but the crazy thing, as, as amusing as it is and, and as silly as they can be, my parents did just the goofiest things. And, and it's worth joking on. And sometimes it's funny. It's, it's worth teasing. But there's a limit. There's a limit. 
because they're our parents. According to this commandment, honor should keep us from calling our parents out of our name. It should keep us from insulting their intelligence or their physique, even when we're joking. This commandment reminds us that our parents are chosen by God and deserve our respect in all circumstances. Notice the text. God doesn't say honor your father or your mother. He says your mother or your father and your mother. We honor them equally. We are to respect and we are to serve them equally. In this command, God does not give us an age limit. We are not to honor them until we move out. We are not to honor them until we turn 18 or we're legally an adult. We're to honor them even when we reach the age of adulthood, even when we have children and we're in their shoes as parents. We're to honor them and heed their counsel. God doesn't give us the opportunity to choose which parent we'll honor. He doesn't give us the opportunity to, to, uh, he doesn't limit this to an age, but he also doesn't give us an option. He commands us to honor our parents, whether we feel like it or not. We're to submit to them, even if we think we know more. You know, sometimes and somehow, children just know more than their parents. I don't, I don't, I just, somehow, I have a one-year-old who's reached a point in her life where she knows more than me. Uh, she opens up a book, holds it up to read, and it's upside down, and I walk up to her, and I take the book, and I turn it right side up for her to read, and she gets upset, and she throws the book, and she looks at me. I don't know what she's saying. I know it's offensive, <laughs> and I know it's not nice. But she looks at me, and, and, and I give her the book back. She snatches it out my hand, and she reads it the right way, upside down, because she knows more than me in this stage of her life. Isn't that how many of us are? We reach a point where we look at, we hear our parents counsel and we say, well, you don't know where I'm at in this stage of my life right now. You just don't understand. We have to remember parents have been where we are. New era, same people. Same type of people. People are people. There's nothing new under the sun. Parents have been where we are. No matter how much we learn about parenting, they've already been there. No matter how much we learn about life, they've already been there. Even when we accomplish things that our parents wish they could have accomplished, we have to remember that our arms were too short to reach the goal. Our legs were too little, and so we had to stand on their shoulders. And they had to stand on the shoulders of their parents. That's why we reach the goals that we desire, because we're standing on generations and generations worth of shoulders. Parents have been where we are. God commands us to, to honor our parents. He doesn't give us an age limit. He doesn't give us an option. However, not all of us were fortunate to grow up in a two-parent home with godly examples to look up to. Some, some of us weren't raised with a father in the house to give us wisdom or a nurturing mother. Some of us may have been raised in single parent homes, wondering why that other parent walked out, wondering where that other parent is, 
Some of us were raised or some people are raised in ungodly homes with ungodly parents who teach them to lie, teach them to steal, teach them to live a life of immorality. They teach them that the only way to survive in this life is to look out for you and you alone. Some people were brought up in abusive homes where the person that was supposed to be that place of refuge and safety and encouragement is the one who brought the most fear. How can a person like that deserve honor? How can somebody who's so abusive, how do they deserve the highest respect? Well, one thing that we must remember is that God gave us this command to obey him. So submission to those parents or those who didn't parent well does not justify their treatment. When you are obedient to those parents, it is not justification for how they are and the lifestyle that they live. But it's a reflection of your honor to God. And so when we honor our parents, no matter how they parented, we're still honoring God. And so my encouragement is if you can't honor your parents for any other reason, honor them because you honor God. Love them because you love God. Respect them because you respect God. Even if it's hard to respect them as a person, respect their position. Respect the authority. Because at the end of the day, the authority was given by God. So if you can't respect them or love them or honor them for any other reason, we honor God first. That's why the first point before we got to human beings was we honor God. Because if we honor God, we can honor people. I would also encourage, if you have a parent or a guardian who lives away, who lives in a way that not only dishonors God or the law of God, but they dishonor the law of the land. You can honor your parent by calling an authority figure. Because when you call an authority, it not only brings peace in the home, but it addresses the issue in the heart of that person. We honor God by honoring our parents. We honor God by honoring our spouse. Exodus 20, verse 14, you shall not commit adultery. This is the second commandment that addresses the family. It displays the importance of a healthy and functional family. God loves his structure of the family. And that's the devil's greatest desire. Again, his desire is to distract God's creation from honoring him and hinder the body of Christ from growing in him. And it starts with the family. If the devil can destroy a marriage, he can hinder your walk with the Lord. If he can destroy a marriage, he can devastate the children. He can hinder spiritual growth for generations to come. He seeks to destroy the family simply because God loves it. And simply because it brings them glory. And so we honor God by honoring our spouse. In a positive light, this command challenges us to love our spouse with all of our heart, mind, 
and soul. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. They are to leave their parents and cleave to their wives. And wives are to love their husbands and submit to them as the church submits to Christ. We are commanded to spend time and be intimate with our spouses. Again, the devil seeks to destroy the family because it's God's design. He seeks to destroy marriage to distort people's view of the gospel. Because marriage is a reflection of Christ and the church. And if the devil can destroy marriage, he can distort Christ's love for the church. And if he can destroy or distort your view of Christ's love for the church, he can distort Christ's love for you. All of that is wrapped up in this command. But what if? What happens if that mistake is made? What, what if? Where, what, where do I go from here? What happens if, I'm, if I'd stepped out? What happens now? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God is holy. He is righteous. He is just, but he is also forgiving. He is a God of forgiveness, and he will forgive the sins of those who repent. This is what Psalm 51 is all about because David fell into this sin, but he repented in Psalm 51 10. He asked the Lord to create in him a clean heart and renew within him the right spirit. These words create, renew. They're words of building. They're words of construction. These are powerful words in the text, but they're also words of destruction. David is asking God to completely destroy and demolish and annihilate anything in his heart that's not like him. Anything in his heart that would lead him back to falling into that sin. Demolish it, wipe it out. That's the prayer of a true believer who fell short. Repentance is key. However, it may not change the consequence of the action. We may feel, still feel the sting of what we've done, but a real believer in Jesus will repent, not only to God, but to all those affected by the sin. A believer will walk in the path of restoration and will do whatever it takes to make things right. God wants us to honor him by honoring our spouse. We're living in a world that hates the structure of God's marriage and they seek to destroy it. And so my encouragement to every married couple in this room, use the resources that God has given you in this church to grow and strengthen your marriage. This church has several of marriage events, marriage retreats. I encourage you, take those resources and use them up. Because we seek to honor God at this church by honoring our parents and honoring our spouse. We honor God by honoring our spouse. We honor God by honoring the image of God in others. We honor God by honoring the image of God in others. Exodus 20 verse 13 says you shall not murder and then I skip to verse 15 through 17 
It says, you shall not steal. You shall not bear fault witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 21 uh, through 24, he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift to the, at the altar and there remember that, your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Every verse within these commandments, they point to the value of human life. Murder, stealing, your words, coveting, all bring harm to human life, not just physically, but mentally and even spiritually. Human beings are precious and priceless beings, and they should be protected in every area from their physical bodies to their mind and their hearts. Genesis 1, 26 and 27, it tells us that we are made in the image of God. This is the one thing that all human beings, no matter what their gender or their race or their social status or religion, their size or their age, their background or education, all of us are made in the image of God. And so to commit these sins is an act of rebellion against God himself. These sins, they bring trauma and they bring devastation to families for generations. They bring pain that no medicine can help. These sins leave the heart weak as it tries to hold up a heavy weight of grief that only God of the universe can lift. They bring confusion to the mind and they tear apart relationships. According to verse 17, God tells us that our actions that we carry out are based on our heart posture. Verse 17, it says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not covet uh, his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This word covet is to have or even hold on to an ungodly desire. It is to covet, to covet is to set your heart on something that is not rightfully yours. So that means we must be content. There's nothing wrong with having a desire for something, but the desire becomes sinful when you desire something against God's will. All of us desired something that goes against God's will. We've all sinned. Our sinful actions declare that we are taking a moment to honor ourselves because we believe in our flesh that we deserve it. This is the mindset that led to the first sin. In Genesis 3, the devil's tempted. He tempted Eve to eat the fruit that God forbid in the Garden of Eden. It says, now the serpent, in Genesis 3, 1, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden. In other words, the devil saying, did God have the nerve 
to tell you not to eat this fruit? He actually said that? Genesis 2, Genesis 3, verses 2 and 3, And the woman said to the serpent, We may not eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said, or we may eat of any tree of the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. God never said don't touch it. We don't add to God's word. Amen. It's already been given. But then the devil goes, he says, but the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In modern terms, the devil is telling Eve, God doesn't want you to be like him. He's holding you back from being your best self. He's hiding something from you. You need to go be great. Live your best life. You only get one. Do what you got to do, Eve. And suddenly, the Bible says, after she heard that she can be great, after she realized that she deserves this fruit, suddenly the fruit became tasty to her. It looked delicious. And she ate of it. And she fed it and she gave it to her husband and, the, and Adam ate, and once Adam, the man, the head of the family, ate the forbidden fruit in an attempt to live life on his own terms, sin came into the world. And this act of rebellion, it separated us. It separated all mankind from a sinless God, and it put us in the place to deserve nothing but his wrath. Each of these commandments that we covered in Exodus 20 are so important and they're so valuable that breaking one deserved the death penalty. However, the sin that we commit not only deserves physical death, but it deserves eternal death and condemnation. Our rebellion against God put us in the place to deserve the eternal penalty. But God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus. And Jesus, God the son, came to this earth and he lived a sinless life that no one could live. He honored the father by honoring others. He loved his enemies and forgave them. He was tempted to murder and steal and lie and covet, but he lived a life of honesty and humility. He was tempted at all points, yet remained sinless. And he was so sinless that he faced the wrath of the father and take, took the penalty by dying on the cross. He was buried, but three days later, he bodily rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. And when your faith is in Christ, you are saved from the well-deserved wrath of the Father. And you will live in heaven with Jesus for eternity. I read from uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses uh, 3 and 4 earlier. And I'm getting ready to close. Guys can come up if you want. I'm, I'm, I'm done now. Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses Three through four, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. But then Paul goes and he says, in verses five through seven, he says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He says, who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We're getting ready to take communion. We're preparing to take communion. This is an opportunity to celebrate the freedom 
from the penalty of sin through the finished work of Christ. It's an opportunity to celebrate the fact that we are saved from the penalty because we have broken the commandments. We've lived a life of sin, but Jesus saved us. However, it's also a time to examine our hearts and repent of sin. All of us are guilty of breaking God's commandments. And so before we take communion, I just have a couple questions. What hinders you from having the mind of Christ? When we examine our hearts, what sin needs to be thrown away?